You found it. No nonsense. No scripts. Real people on real issues. Hard hitting and action packed with logic, reason, and common sense. Everything you need and everything you've been looking for in a podcast. This is Dynamic Independence with Johnny Anderson, Bruce Adams, Marty Foster, and GP. Welcome to it. Welcome to a new week. How are you, Bruce? Healthy and alive. Yourself? I'm tired. I'm, I'm really tired. Last night was one of those nights where I just didn't sleep very well, and I'm just, I'm exhausted. But I still went to the gym today. I still had a workout. I cycled 10K and I ran two. And so I think that's probably got a lot to do with me being tired. I'm worn out. So uh, we're going to uh, gonna do the best we can here today. However, tomorrow, uh, and I'm just now telling you this, tomorrow, uh, I will not be here. I'm sorry. Last minute thing came up and it's unavoidable. So uh, I- I'm not going to be here. But we will pick out a fantastic rebroadcast to put out for tomorrow. But rest assured, we will be back the day after. Sir Richard Branson, he made it, didn't he? He did. Yeah. There and back again. The first billionaire in space. The very first one. I mean, personally, in space. Musk was obviously the, you know, the, the first one. But, well, no, that's, that's actually not true, is it? The first billionaire in space was the first U.S. Company. government. But yeah, the first billionaire well, in space was U.S. government. So, Or, excuse me, the U.S. taxpayer. <laughs> Sorry. That, that, that's true. Uh, that's true. So a fourth space flight test carrying Richard Branson. He remarked from his Virgin Galactic flight on Sunday and said the space flight was the complete experience of a lifetime. Shortly after the spacecraft took off over New Mexico, he says, now I'm looking down at the beautiful at a beautiful spaceport. Uh, He was he was on the plane with uh, two pilots and three Virgin Galactic employees. Congratulations to everyone for creating such a beautiful, beautiful place. I saw the tweet this morning of him standing there with uh, Elon Musk. Musk was wishing him uh, Godspeed. And of course, Jeff Bezos, not so much. Uh, He's he's a little upset that he wasn't the first billionaire in space. Well, Jeff, you should have gotten into the airline business all those years ago. I know that Amazon's starting to get into the airline business, at least the freight business. So Richard Branson's been around airlines and and flying for quite some time now. So it's, you know, it kind of stands to reason that he had a little bit of a jump on you there. So I I can't fault him for it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a great thing. It's a good step. It's a good step. Branson wants to make space travel available for everybody, whereas Bezos doesn't want to do that. I don't think he's not really interested in that. He's interested in putting himself and uh, other people of his nature up there. And that's really about it. I think Musk is kind of on the same page as Branson, to be honest. He kind of wants people to, to branch out and, and start getting out there. I mean, to be honest with you, as, as I've talked about many times here before, we're about 30 to 40 years behind. And I'm not even joking. And that's being conservative. I think we're in reality, I think we're 50 years behind. But uh, wh- what are we doing? We should have a moon colony by now. We should have had a moon colony 30 years ago when I was a kid. But at least we're on the move now. But you have special interests here that are trying to well, they're trying to hinder that just a little bit, aren't they? Yeah. Cyber Polygon happened. Speaking of the Davos clique, right? Yeah, we were talking about Branson there. So it's, you know, great job to him and his team. You know, that's a that's a that right there. That should have been headlines all across the world. That I mean, there should be no co- no COVID stuff in the news. Nothing. That's actually what they're doing to cover what's happening. They're trying to stop independent individual development. They're trying to shut that down. They're trying to create a system where you have to go through them 
in order to operate in society and in the world and in your life. And speaking of that, Klaus Schwab, over the weekend, July 9th, Cyber Polygon, and wouldn't you know it, just this morning, just this morning, there was a massive cyber attack in East Germany. Just right on time, right on time that happened. It's almost like it's it's planned. I don't know. They called it a cyber catastrophe. It was the first of its kind when it hit. Germany's first ever cyber catastrophe. It hit this morning. We are almost completely paralyzed, the spokesperson for Anhalt-Bitterfeld municipality in eastern Germany said. Really? Well, we've been saying for how long that this is coming? Klaus Schwab himself mm-hmm. a year ago said that this is coming. I told you if I were tasked, (laughs) I told you if I were tasked, if if my superiors came to me and said, we need a suspect list of people that are behind these cyber attacks and we need it by the end of the week, I'll have it for you by tomorrow morning because I know who I'm putting at the top of my list. You're not going to like the answers I give you. You're not going to like my suspect list, but I'll give you one. A district council in Eastern Germany has declared a disaster after its computer systems were paralyzed by a hacker attack, in which the federal cybersecurity watchdog confirmed that the country's first ever cyber catastrophe happened. Hmm. What, huh. uh, what was so bad? What what happened? Like, Well, I'm not sure. Uh, hackers knocked out the IT operations of the municipality of Anhalt-Bitterfeld in the state of Saxony-Anhalt on Tuesday, July 6th. Oh, this happened on the 6th. We're just now hearing about it? I heard about this this morning. So three days before Cyber Polygon. Interesting. Spokesman said, we are almost completely paralyzed, adding the offices would probably remain offline next week and giving no indication of when services would resume. Imagine a complete halt to the power supply, to the hospital services, you know, our society as a whole. Isn't that what he said? I'm kind of paraphrasing, Mm -hmm. but that's almost word for word. Yeah, It, it would make COVID be a minor inconvenience. Matter of fact, uh, let me just go ahead and play that uh, just just now. Again, this is Klaus Schwab last year, a year ago, almost to date, a year ago, almost to date. But still pay insufficient attention to the frightening scenario of a comprehensive cyber attack, which would bring to a complete halt to the power supply, transportation, hospital services, our society as a whole. The COVID-19 crisis would be seen in this respect as a small disturbance in comparison to a major cyber attack. To use the COVID-19 crisis as a timely opportunity to reflect on the lessons the cybersecurity community can draw and improve our preparedness for a potential cyber pandemic. Right there, right there. He's literally telling you last year what's coming. Again, if I'm making a suspect list, this guy's at the top of it. He's at the top of it. Him and that little that little pipsqueak assistant of his, that uh, Jurgensen or whatever his name is. And what was it that he said? Well, let's take a listen. There will be another crisis. Uh, it will be more significant. And, you know, we need to actually start preparing for that now. When we do see this next crisis, it will be faster than what we've seen with COVID. Uh, the exponential growth rate will climb, uh, be much steeper. Uh, the impact will be greater. And as a result, the economic and social uh, implications will be even more significant. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, Again, that was said at the same time on the same day at the same conference as the previous clip of Klaus Schwab. Well, what has Klaus said in part of his closing statement at Cyber Polygon two days ago? 
it's again, it's almost like he he knows exactly what's going to happen. It's almost like he knows. It's, it's funny how all this stuff works. All right, let's take a listen to this. Masks are not sufficient. We uh-huh. need vaccines to immunize ourselves. Uh-huh. So same is true for cyber attacks. Right. Here too, we have to move from simple protection to immunization. Mm-hmm. We need to build IT infrastructures that have digital antibodies built in inherently to protect themselves. Uh-huh. Did you hear that, Bruce? Did you catch all that? Yes. I'm not really sure how you plan to make digital antibodies. Well, it's easy. It's easy. See, you have to let them take control of the Internet so they can keep it safe. Right. Just like you with your health decisions, they need to take over everything regarding your health to keep you safe. Because, see, you, you don't know how to do it. Right. You, you don't know what you're doing. You have no idea how to deal with this COVID. That's why it's out of control. That's why you've got variants all over the place, because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. So, see, they have to come in and do it in order to make sure it's done correctly. Same thing with the Internet. We need to take everything over to make sure that it's safe. That's what he's implying. There's your antibodies. So basically they're saying we're incapable of making our own decisions and they have to pad everything. They have to make padded rooms for everything so that you don't go in there and hurt yourself. Yes. Yes. Of course, new headlines are out today. Over 3,800, listen to what I'm about to say. What, what did Klaus just say? Masks are not sufficient, right? Isn't that what he said? He said masks are not sufficient. Well, we already knew that, Klaus. Thanks for clearing that up. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. But what he said there to go along with that, we need vaccines to immunize ourselves, right? Isn't that what he said? Mm-hmm. Over 3,800 fully vaccinated Germans fall sick with COVID since February. Huh. Now, hold on a minute. I, I thought that getting vaccinated, it's supposed to... You, I mean, that, like that gives you immunity, right? Isn't that what Klaus just said? Klaus is a doctor, you see. Isn't isn't that what he said? Or, or maybe he's not a doctor. I think he's just a he's just a, a an egotistical. He's a he's a dollar store Bond villain. Is all he is. He's a joke. He's a bum. He he turns around and he says, "Oh, we in the business world. You're not from the business world, sir. You're an academic. That's all you are. You're a common thief. That's all you are. That's all you've ever been. You've never been in the business world, sir." How do they expect? So supposedly this vaccine is 90 some percent effective. And yet we're seeing just as many people get infected with COVID after being vaccinated as before vaccination. And he's making correlation to the the cybersecurity stuff as vaccines. They were incapable of producing a vaccine that would protect you against COVID-19. Why should we believe that you can create a vaccine against some digital virus or whatnot. The the thing about hackers, it's ever changing. It's ever evolving, similar to a virus. So though you may immunize against one attack, there's still back doors in other locations and, and you can hit it with, with other. In the meantime, these are the new numbers out from VAERS. As of July 7th, we're looking at upwards of almost 10,000 people that are dead because of vaccines. 10,000. We were at 6,000, what, a few weeks ago? We're up to almost 10,000. Now, this is a number they don't want to talk about. 26,818 hospitalizations. Uh, this is this is VAERS. This isn't me. This is VAERS. I'm reading from VAERS. Bruce can see it. It's right here behind me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 56,970 have gone to urgent care. 80,296 office visits. 2,152 have gone into some form of anaphylaxis. 2,486 cases of Bell's palsy. That's paralyzation of your face. 985 miscarriages, 
Oh, but wait a minute. Isn't Oxford University, don't don't they have ads out from the NHS in England saying, oh, it's OK for pregnant women to take it. It's fine, it, especially if you're mm-hmm. if you're thinking about getting pregnant or, or you are pregnant, you should definitely take it. Nine hundred and eighty five mm-hmm. miscarriages. This is just in the U.S., I'm sure that you're seeing similar numbers in every country around the world. And these are the numbers from the first, was it 24 hours? The first 24 hours? They, they extended it to 24 hours? I believe it's 24 hours now, yeah. These are people that have had these type of reactions in the first 24 hours. 3,324 heart attacks. 2,200 cases of myocarditis. That's the enlargement of the heart, by the way. 2,226 cases of low platelet counts. 7,823 life-threatening cases, meaning they weren't sure that those people were actually going to make it or not. 19,105 severe allergic reactions. 7,463 disabled. 5,118 people have developed tinnitus. That's permanent, by the way. This? This is what they want you to take? They beat you over the head all day about safe and effective, safe and effective. What about that is safe and effective? What about any of those statistics? That is real data. What about any of that is safe and effective? Um not taking it. Thanks. I mean, they're already threatening to go door to door. So yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll talk about that here in a minute. So I'll tell you what's going to happen. Somebody's going to get shot. That's what's going to happen. It's not going to be the person that's uh, getting the needle from the person waving it. Safe and effective, right? All those numbers I just gave you. Let's hear the saint to Dr. Anthony Fauci, shall we? Here we have a vaccine that's highly, highly effective oh, in preventing really? disease and certainly <laughs> in preventing severe disease and hospitalization. It's easy to get, it's free, and it's readily available. So, you know, you, you, you've got to ask, what is the problem? What's get the problem? over it. Get over this political statement. Wow. What's the problem? I just gave you the problem. That's mm-hmm. the, Those are the mm-hmm. cases that we know about. Those are the 24-hour cases. That is um, a great example of gaslighting, by the way. You're sitting here looking at the data and the information going, um, there's no reason for me to go and take the vaccine. And he's sitting there saying, you're the bad guy. You're the one in the wrong. It, no, no. Why would I go and take a vaccine when I'm I'm more likely in my age group? I'm more likely to have severe side effects or death from the vaccine than I am from catching COVID. By the way, hospitalization rates for COVID across all age categories is 2%. So. 2%. <laughs> Yeah. And the biggest problems we're seeing are in the over 50s. Yep. All right. He was on uh, CNN with, uh, I believe this is Jake Tapper, right? I, I'm pretty sure that's, it's State of the Union with, uh, with Jake Tapper, I, uh, whatever. Uh, but uh, here, here he is. Let's, uh, let's listen to him on this. Conservative political conference, CPAC, uh, is going on this weekend. I want to play for you a clip of one of the speakers from that event yesterday. They were hoping, the government was hoping, that they could sort of sucker 90% of the population into getting vaccinated. Yeah. And, it, and, and, it, and it isn't happening, right? There, there's a... Y- younger people... I'm going to cut him off right there because he just goes on to just say things that are not true about the vaccine. Oh, really? But what I wanted oh. to get your reaction to is... Why don't you let us decide that for ourselves? Hearing when this gentleman talks about how the government was not able to achieve a 90% vaccine goal. The crowd cheered. Um, as a public health official, what's your reaction when you hear that? Unbelievable. It's, it's, it's horrifying. They're cheering about someone saying that it's a good thing for people not to try and save their lives. I mean, if you just unpack that guy, for a second. Are you it, serious? It, it, it's almost frightening to say, hey, oh guess what? We don't want you to do something to save your life. Yay. Everybody starts screaming and, and clapping. 
I just don't get that. I mean, I, and I don't think that anybody who's thinking clearly can get that. What is that all about? I, I don't understand that, Jake. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Tony, the reason you don't understand it is because you're living in a fantasy land. That's why you don't understand it. That's why Jake Tapper has lost over 80% of his audience in the last six months because he's saying, oh, well, I'm just going to cut him off right there because he's saying things that aren't true about the vaccine. What about what I just read is untrue, Jake? What, what about everything that I just read? That's not my opinion. You're on your network all day. The people on your network all day are talking about evidence-based, science-based, database. Fauci's on every network every day. He's never met a TV camera he hasn't loved. Evidence-based, science-based, database. I just gave you science, data, and evidence, and they don't want to hear any of it. Basically, I think what's going on with Fauci, why he can't understand it, as he says, I think the whole reason he can't understand it is all the information that we're showing you, all the all the stuff that we're feeding you, all the stuff that I'm saying is that the vaccine's good. So how are you getting any other information? Why are you believing and listening to anything other than what what I'm saying, I think, is his reasoning there? Well, not to be outdone, Dr. Liana Wynn, you remember her, yeah, the uh, the woman who uh, worked for uh, she was the head of Planned Parenthood, of course, it was the same position that was held by Bill Gates, father. She also is a um, uh, a a member of the Chinese State Medical Association, and she was also the uh, head of public health for the city of Baltimore for a good period of time. And now, of course, she's a she's a correspondent on uh, on CNN. Uh, she's the one that was on Chris Cuomo talking about, well, what's the carrot going to be for uh, for people to um, to get the vaccine? Well, let's listen and hear what she had to say on a panel on CNN. Again, this is CNN. Right. It doesn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise me. But let's listen to what the woman who is the Chinese Communist Party operative. Let's listen and hear what she had to say about those that refuse to take it. I think this really depends on what it is that we do at this point. So now we have this Delta variant that is much more contagious. Because it's more contagious, it's going to be even harder for us to reach herd immunity. We're going to have to vaccinate an even higher proportion of people to get there. What happens then if we end up having another variant developing that's even more contagious, that could cause more disease, that could evade oh, no. the protection of our immune system? Yeah. And so how quickly we get this under control and which way we go depends on what we do now when it comes to vaccination, to overcoming disinformation. And what we really need to do at this point is to make vaccination the easy choice. It needs right. to be hard for people to remain unvaccinated. Right, right now, it's kind of right. the opposite. It's fine. I mean, it's easy if you're unvaccinated. You can do everything you want to do anyway. But at some point, these mandates by workplaces, by schools, I think it will be important to say, hey, you can opt out. But if you want to opt out, you have to sign these forms. You have to get twice weekly testing. Basically, we need to make getting vaccinated the easy choice. That is what it's going to take for us to actually end the pandemic. All right, Dr. Lena Wen. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, doctor. Appreciate that. Yeah. See, she's she's a doctor. She knows best. <laughs> who, who Who is it uh, that's being authoritarian fascist again? Uh, who, who do we keep saying is the loons here? Oh, right. That, that's the right wing, right? Uh, yeah, supposedly. She's far from the right wing. Oh, no, she's she's hard, hard left. She follows along the same guidelines as that uh, that sage advisor in the UK, Mishy or whatever her name was, Susan Mishy. I, I think that's her name, whatever. The Communist Party member for 40 years says, oh, no, we need permanent masks. We need permanent lockdowns in the UK from here on out. 
We need to completely alter our social behavior. Don't you think your involvement in the Communist Party, being a party member and and communist countries being authoritarian, don't you think that might influence your decision being a government advisor when it comes to public policy and health? Don't don't you think that might kind of sway your opinion maybe just a little bit in terms of like, you know, authoritative uh, control and things from the state using the state apparatus? Well, no, I, I, I mean, you don't ask any of your other guests what their political affiliations are. What do you ask me? That was the answer. I mean, maybe because you're a communist, maybe because you don't like the Western I mean, world and I how mean, we do things. I'm sorry. You know, out of all the books that I've read about Marxism and and communism and the rest of them, you know, rather that's and let's let's make no mistake about it. If you're referring to fascism as well, by the way, I hate to break it to you. That was rooted in Marxism. That was a rival Marxist party before it became the National Socialist German Workers Party. That's history. That's mainline history. But under Marxism, it's always the power of the state. It's always that rule. There's no room for the individual. None. So don't you think it had just a little bit of an influence? And and don't give me this crap about, oh, that's, that's extreme right, oh, that's extreme left. Think about what I just said. It all comes from the same ideology, all of it. So yes, I believe that her being a member of the Communist Party has a lot to do with how she uh, makes her decisions when it relates to public health and, uh, you know, using the uh, the authority of the state to advance her uh, her sick agenda. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a lot to do with it. Governor Andrew Cuomo, your friend. Y- you always laugh every time I say that. Why do you laugh? You always laugh and shake your head. This this is Governor Cuomo. Well, this you, is a this is a man with leadership and integrity. Yeah. I mean, he he led an entire state, hell, the world for a while in um handling COVID. So much so, he actually wrote a book about his leadership during the mm-hmm. COVID crisis mm-hmm. in New York. Yeah. Uh he calls out the COVID pandemic as a tremendous personal benefit. I'm not joking. It's a tremendous personal benefit. Governor Andrew Cuomo called leading that. Now, this is yeah, this is his his take on what happened in the the state of New York. Uh, He called leading the state, which had the worst response of all the states, I might add. Uh, Even the saint to Dr. Anthony Fauci pulled a double standard on that one. Oh, New York got hit harder than anywhere else in the world, but they did it correctly. It's like saying the vaccines are safe and effective and you got 10,000 people dead just because of them in the first 24 hours. So he's called the uh, the state's response, uh, leading the state during the pandemic, a tremendous personal benefit. Very few people were going through what we went through and we went through it together, he said. And speaking for myself, it was a tremendous personal benefit. How exactly was it? A, did you did you gain more power, more influence, more money? Uh, how exactly do you mean there? Well, let's take a look at how much he made off of that book, shall we? His personal benefit was the following. $5.1 million for the book is what he got. His book was ultimately a flop, by the way. Uh, It was released in October. By the end of February, it had sold less than 46,000 copies. He got $5.1 million for that. I'm in the wrong line of work. The the problem is, is it's money laundering, basically. He's being paid off for something else. Crown Publishing which is an imprint of Penguin Random House, had undoubtedly hoped to cash in on the governor's surge in popularity last year when his approval numbers skyrocketed during the pandemic. Did they? Did they actually skyrocket or did they just flip the data? I mean, it's easy enough. If you just flip the the nine and the one, then you've got 19. And if you if it's 19 percent, his approval, well, you flip it. Well, he's 91 percent approval rating. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's quite simple. I mean, it's easy enough to do. It's kind of like what they did with the... Um, the, the climate change stuff, the global warming stuff, they just flipped the data. Or maybe they just asked the people that were, you know, like directly working for them. 
Cuomo's also got the nursing home scandal to still deal with. Uh, and there's also what happened to that multiple accusations of uh, that all that sexual misconduct? What happened to that? It's like it just disappeared. So, yeah, the, the rumor on that one, if you can if you can withstand the barrage of that for the first 72 hours or so and not falter on your message, um, you, it'll it'll get swept under the rug, basically. Uh, it, 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 it's uh, it, it'll kind of be there still like people kind of still remember, but nothing will happen. You'll be fine. So basically the media's taken the, the microscope off of it. So, yeah, there's yeah. there's no problem there. So what about what about all of the women that actually came forward? What what about that? I mean, they had what, nine, ten of them that came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it says to be fair, majority of those were just like, OK, that was cringy, but it wasn't illegal. Um, the one she says he got handsy with her in in the mansion um it, it, at that point it's his his word against her and hers against his like there's no witnesses nothing involved there so and no like physical evidence or anything so as much as i love the guy i i, I can't i can't say whether we would have to have an investigation in it and we would have to you know go through the legal proceedings before i could say he did or didn't yeah. Right. Right. I, I don't uh, just like you. I, I don't you know, I, I'm not coming to the guy's defense, but this is why we have court system. God deserves his day in court. Yeah. Bill Cosby. You saw what happened to him was all a sham. All of it. Everything that they cooked up against the guy. You know why? Because they needed to throw a sacrificial lamb out there first before they went after Trump and everybody else. That's what Bill Cosby was. Oh, look, we're going after a, a world renowned comedian. That's what he was. That's what he is. And he's a person of color and we're going to ruin him. They do that to set a precedent. Once they set that precedent, then they can move forward with everything else. Because you can't claim that it's some kind of a, you know, a one way deal and all the rest of it going forward. You, you take that political chess piece off the table, kind of like Putin when he met with Biden down in Geneva. When they walked closer to each other for that initial handshake in front of the building, Putin looked away towards the cameras to smile. He didn't give Biden the opportunity to look in his eyes. You remember, like the media was trying to play mm-hmm. it up. Oh, I mm-hmm. looked in Putin's eyes and I saw a killer. Putin was smart enough to take that chess piece away from him for the future. It's the same thing with Bill Cosby. But see, now that all the air is cleared and Cosby's been vindicated, here's the thing. Th- this is where it gets complicated because I sit here and I say, well, the man needs to have his day in court. Well, Bill Cosby had his day in court. Was that justice? I don't know. I mean, I didn't really, uh, to be honest, I didn't really watch the kind of evidence that was put forward uh to, to prove know, or disprove the bits that i seen it was uh it was past uh, uh w- w- what's it called when it's when it's out of date if you will statute of um, limitations yeah exactly that that's what it that's what it was i almost feel like and i'm not forgiving the guy by any means because i think the guy's guilty as, as sin i'm not talking about cosby i'm talking about harvey weinstein i mean yeah. He, he's on tape. Sorry. He, he's on tape. Nearest yeah. I can tell, they didn't have Cosby on tape. It was just a bunch of hearsay. But at Harvey Weinstein's trial, and there's still ongoing trials, they're trying to extradite him, I guess, out to California now from New York. And during that trial, we went over some of the testimony here, and it's like, really? You waited, what, 16, 17, 20 years to come out and say all that stuff? Really? Come on. You know, I'm not, I'm not discrediting a real case, but... It's almost like they're throwing things on top of it just to throw things on top of it. Kevin Spacey. You remember what happened to Kevin Spacey? Had all of his Netflix deal canceled with House of Cards. House of Cards was a good show. That was all canceled. Lost all of his uh, all of his future deals, all of his endorsements, all of his sponsors over what? Nothing. 
Nothing. He's totally vindicated now. Same thing with Bill Cosby. He spent two years in jail. For what? Some sick political game? It, it goes to show the rest of Hollywood, I guess. The, the rest of the old dead wood that's out there. Do as you're told. Fall in line. Carry the agenda. Carry the water. Or this is going to happen to you. Yeah. That's basically what it is. And honestly, Cosby's out there seeking uh, reparations and and um, and he deserves it now. He deserves it. If you talk about reparations, there's a guy that deserves it. He had two years of his life stolen from him unjustly for no reason other than politics. He does deserve reparations for that. But finances cannot make up for that lost time and everything else that happened in his career that's now been ruined. Yeah, the the one I agree. The the one thing I, I would like better is his message. Uh, uh, calling for reparations, um, not the greatest. Uh, it, it, it's very much touting the line. And, it is, uh, but it it just kind of it happens to tout the same line. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, all right, you talked about Biden sending strike forces around. This is a different kind of strike force he's talking about, though. Biden is sending a strike force. His words, not mine. A strike force to help combat skyrocketing crime in Chicago and four other cities. So let me get this straight. We're going to send in federal response into cities now. This is a local problem. This is not a federal problem. This is a local issue. I agree that Chicago is out of control, but it's not the federal government's job to go in there and take care of that problem. Uh, unless Chicago asks for it. That's the thing is that the Fed has no authority in that location unless they request the aid. It says here specifically, President Joe Biden ordered a strike force to help curb crime in Chicago, Illinois, and four other cities as homicides skyrocketed over the 4th of July weekend. Chicago experienced the most violent weekend so far this year. More than 100 people were shot and 19 people were killed. So far in 2021, there's been an increase of 58% in people shot from that same period in 2019. That's according to the Chicago Police Department. That's their statistics. The strike I mean, force... It, it's, it's not an ongoing insurrection, right? Because we were for sending in federal troops or or at least National Guard when there was an insurrection, a legitimate one, you know, last year during the, the, the riots and whatnot. Oh, excuse me. The peaceful protests. Mostly. Uh, when that was mostly peaceful. Thank you. When that was going on, we were for sending troops in. This situation, this is a this is gang violence. This is like local crime stuff. It's not an insurrection. So there's no there's no reason to send the Fed in. That damn insurrection act should have been signed long ago, long ago, long before November 3rd. But here's the I thing. I think that's what they wanted, though, at the same time. They were yeah, hoping but it, it would. But here, here's the other thing to that. Here, here's the other side of that. If that insurrection act was signed, we wouldn't know it. That's the other side to it. Unless it was openly declared, but that's not something that's when you sign. If you're a president and you sign the Insurrection Act, that's not public knowledge. The only people that know that are select military insiders. That's all that actually know that. that those are all the people that actually know that. And nearest I can tell, I could be wrong, but nearest I can tell, I don't think Joe Biden is getting briefings from the Pentagon. I don't think he is. The only person we see out there. Excuse me. There's two people out there that we see that are the uh, the woke ones. We see Miley, General Miley, and the who, who's the other one? The uh, is the Air Force guy. See, Miley is over. He's the Army. He, like he's the Army. He's okay. the Army because we we had Army Marines. Marines was the other one that did the responded to the Twitter stuff. Right. You got the U.S. Navy on the woke. 
but but you don't have the you don't have a lot of the admirals you don't have a lot of the commanders Mm -hmm. that are on board with that you've got commanders our southern commander our admiral of our southern command is sitting in front of house and senate committees warning against china i don't see them being woke and you notice that they're making moves in the south china sea and in the south pacific that don't correspond with wokeness they're over there protecting our interests. Now, you can't normally do that on your own. If you're a, a commander of a fleet, you really don't operate autonomously like that. You have to take orders from higher up somewhere. But again, you know, I'm just thinking out loud here. Anyway, uh, back on to this. Uh, the strike force that Biden will be sending to the uh, cities here. The strike force will cooperate with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives, one of the most useless organizations on the planet, next to the Department of Homeland Security, I might add. And focus on illegal gun trafficking. Really, they've got a total gun ban in that city. There shouldn't be any illegal guns there, should there? Or did I miss something? Uh, Well, there shouldn't be any illegal guns there because... There's a a total gun ban. I I understand. I I get what you're saying, but I'm I'm taking the route of there shouldn't even be illegal guns, period. I see what you're saying. I got you. I can amendment. Well, if that's the case, we wouldn't need an BATFE, would we? The operation will also send teams to New York City. Oh, yeah, because, yeah, it's so peaceful up there. Yeah, New York City. The crime's up 285% in the Upper West Side just this year alone. Los Angeles. Really? There's a crime problem in Los Angeles? Never would have guessed. San Francisco. Again, never would have guessed. And Washington, D.C. You would think that the uh, the area around Washington, D.C., you would think that they would actually have their house in order there. That's where all the politicians are. You would expect that, you know, they, they would have... Almost no crime there, but well, do you know why there's no organized crime in dictatorial and authoritarian countries? Because the government is the organized crime. Mm-hmm. To your point about uh, keeping D.C. under their thumb, if you will, back in the peak of the Iraq and Afghanistan war, it was actually safer for you to be in Afghanistan or Iraq as a soldier than to be in Washington, D.C. You were more likely to be shot in Washington, D.C. than Iraq or Afghanistan that were we were at war. I've actually heard people, these are residents that I'm talking about. I've actually heard people from that are from the Bronx actually say the Bronx is like Afghanistan. I would argue the Bronx is actually worse than Afghanistan. However, except for this this pullout maneuver that's been going on by the Biden administration, the, the way that you just left like that, you you can't actually do that. You you can't you can't do that. That's that's going to create a what's called a power vacuum, do you idiots? You, you can't just do that. So now you're going to turn around. You're going to see a resurgence of the Taliban, which is a, a mess that was created by the Obama administration. Boy, this sounds awful familiar, doesn't it? it it's almost like it's almost like you you have the um, the remnants of a gentleman that was part of the Obama administration that actually authored the, uh, this book right here called The Grand Chessboard. Gentleman by the name of Zbigniew Brzezinski. Um, he actually he actually wrote in this book about how he created the uh, the Mujahideen, which was the Taliban of its time, and used them against the Soviet Union to destroy the Soviet Union. Well, gee, what do you think they're going to do this time around? Well, you had ISIS and the Taliban pretty much on the run and knocked out of the box because that was the mess of the last administration and the one before that. And that's that disgusting mess of the last two administrations of those state departments. So now that problem's back. And guess who's dealing with that? The Russian bear is dealing with that. It's almost like they wanted the conflict between the radicals in Afghanistan and the Russians. Almost like they planned that. Now, what's going to happen here? Well, the Taliban say that they control 85% of the country already. Of course, they say that. I don't know if that's actually true or not. There's conflicting reports coming out of there. But 
They say that they welcome their friends from Beijing. Oh, really? So you mean you mean China's going to come in and, and act as a stabilizing force? Oh, oh, really? Really? It's almost like you could see that coming a mile away. It's almost like the, the administration played right into the hands of Beijing. It's almost like they planned it. Almost, you'd think. Almost. It's almost like they, they told the Biden administration to, to withdraw everyone from Afghanistan immediately. It's almost like they told them that so they could cause that conflict so the Chinese could then come in and be the stabilizing force. It's almost like they, they planned it. Just, just saying. I look at two and two and sometimes it equals four. Sometimes. Sometimes. So anyway, okay, yeah, this uh, I, I keep going off on these tangents because there's so many things and you just start going down all these rabbit holes. You start kicking doors open. It's just all ends up at the same place. These comments here by Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, she says, I believe that violence is a manifestation of systemic problems and it's a public health crisis. When you see in way too many neighborhoods a lack of jobs, a lack of investment, these are historic decade long, decades-long problems. Uh, she also blamed the gun crime on surrounding cities and states with lax gun laws. You know, there was a Chicago alderman that we played a clip of here last week. I do have that clip. This is what he said. Well, a bloody weekend in the Windy City. At least 10 people are dead and 35 are hurt in shootings across Chicago. Chicago Alderman and former police officer Anthony Napolitano joins us now to react. Good morning to you, sir. You know, one of the people who was shot and killed over the weekend was a 19-year-old member of the National Guard. He, he was just about to turn 20 years old and he wanted to become a police officer and his life was taken this weekend. And uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot has made statements saying that she thinks that illegal guns are the problem in the city. What do you uh -huh. think? Yeah, I've been asked that question numerous times, and I, I think that's pure nonsense. Um, we have the, stiff, the, the strongest and the strictest uh, gun laws in, in the state, if not the country. Uh, and if you go to our surrounding borders right now, uh, where we're supposedly getting all the guns for, they have nowhere near the amount of crime that we do. We have a people problem here in Chicago. I've been saying this for a long time. We have zero accountability for parents in the city of Chicago. Nobody's raising their kids anymore. The gangs are raising them. We have a state's attorney that is by far the worst in the nation, and it's all a trickle down effect. This is what this is what we're running up with right now. And that that goes on. But you get the idea. You don't have a gun problem. I, I've always said that for years. I, I was talking about this last week. I sat down at dinner here with a whole group of people, non-U.S. citizens, and they all said the same thing. Oh, the U.S. has got a pretty bad gun problem, don't they? And I said, no, no, they don't. I said, the U.S. has a, a people problem. We have a morality problem. We have a societal problem, a cultural problem. That's what it is. And if you don't believe that, Go back to the 1950s. Tell me about mass shootings in America on the scale that they are today back in the 1950s. You're going to find they did not exist. And the reason they did not exist is because we actually had a culture of people. We had a moral, just, responsible society. You see, we believed in the family back then. We'd just beaten the, uh, well, the, the worst genocidal regime that we had seen. However, I would argue that you could chalk that up to, uh, well, the Soviet Union and, and communist China these days as far as murder per capita numbers. But everybody was optimistic. Everybody was happy. Everybody was looking forward to getting on with their lives and not having to worry about authoritarianism breathing down their necks. And that carried on for about 10 years, 15 years. Then what happened? You had the rock and roll era come right after that, didn't you? You had the hippie revolution after that. Down with the family. Down with the church. Let it all hang out. If it feels good, do it. Tune in and drop out. Groovy, right on. Solid. You see, it was that degeneracy. And this is before my time, but I'm smart enough to be able to go back and look at that stuff. You sit there and you talk about, oh, these are peaceful people that sat underneath the, 
uh, trees and they picked their guitars behind their blue glasses. That was pure evil. Where has that gotten us? Where's the destruction in the family gotten us? Where's the, uh, the, the monotonous relationships? Where's that gotten us? The promiscuity? Where's that gotten us? Where's all this, this porn on tap? Where's that all gotten us? The destruction of the church? Where's that gotten us? This idea that we're going to um, teach all of these uh, critical race theory ideas and this common core stuff and this, this fantasy land nonsense, this 1619 project stuff to your kids in school without your knowledge. Where's that gotten us? So I agree with this alderman here. He's right on the money. We don't have an illegal gun problem in the U.S. Yeah, you're going to have illegal guns on the streets. Of course you are. And I know where you're coming from, Bruce, and no gun should be illegal. I got it. But let's be honest here. In my experience, if somebody wants to commit crime, if somebody, if a criminal, if they want to commit a crime, guess what they're going to do? They're going to commit a crime and they're going to commit that crime any way they can. You know, you have shootings in London, England. You have shootouts in London, England. Do you know how hard it is to get your hands on a on a handgun in the UK? Ask Marty, he'll tell you. You see, they don't have a gun problem in the UK. No politician wants to touch that because, see, they've already taken all the guns everywhere. They have a people problem. They have a cultural problem. They have a morality problem. They have a responsibility problem. Same as us. People can't behave. This idea that also emerged out of the uh, the 60s was... Oh, no, don't listen to your parents. Those old uh, old fashioned people, don't listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. It's carried over, hasn't it? It goes along again with what the alderman's saying. You don't have a home. You don't have families. You don't have churches, community groups, Little League baseball, football. Hell, Mark Zuckerberg himself said Facebook will take the place of Little League baseball and football. Facebook will take the place of Boy Scouts. Hell, Boy Scouts, that's, that's a dead organization. I was part of it. That's a dead organization. It's gone. They ruined that, too. Yeah. I've seen they would just had some major lawsuits uh, regarding that. Something like uh-huh. 700 and some million dollars or something like that. Mm-hmm. The camp that I used to go to when I was a kid, it's been sold. It's gone. I guess that beats my chances of ever going back there and visiting again, huh? Again, it's not a gun problem. A gun's just a tool like anything else. Just like a hammer or a wrench or a screwdriver or whatever. Guns don't kill people. It's always I've always heard that saying. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. Well, that's true. Police officers carry guns, don't they? Do you ever see a police officer using a gun in an irresponsible manner? Okay, maybe that's a maybe that's a bad question because occasionally you see some officer-involved shootings that aren't exactly procedure. But nonetheless, majority of the time you you see them using the guns responsibly. You don't see them going out there shooting up neighborhoods, cops. You don't see them doing that. So again, I'm asking, is the gun the problem? They are gun owners. They are legal gun owners. Police officers are. How many millions of guns do we have? I mean, it's something like 400 and some million firearms in the U.S. More than citizens, yeah. Um, yeah, more than citizens. So you would think if guns were the problem, you would just have a bunch of people randomly dying because guns go off because they're a problem. Let's look at Switzerland. Most heavily armed country outside of the U.S. per capita by citizen population of legal gun owners. I don't see anybody shooting up neighborhoods in Geneva. I don't see. I don't hear about gang violence in uh, in Zurich. I, I don't hear about. Um, I don't hear about uh, mass homicides taking place every day at the six o'clock news in Bern. I, I, I don't hear that. And again, you have the second largest armed population, legal armed population in the world outside of the United States per civilian. I don't hear that. Why is that? See, they never talk about these things. And they never talk about these things because these are real statistics and these are real success stories. You never hear about the person that has his concealed carry license or she has her concealed carry license and they actually stop a robbery. You know, I saw a a video the other day of a guy was getting carjacked. This piece of trash comes out of a, a convenience store, walks up to this guy who's sitting in his car 
tries to carjack him. Well, the owner was a concealed carry holder. He gets out, pulls a gun on the guy. What does the guy do that tried to carjack him? Immediately lays down on the ground with both of his arms out while the person called the police department and held him there at gunpoint until the officer got there. How is that a, a crime? How is that a gun problem? You stopped possibly an innocent unarmed man from getting stabbed to death in a carjacking that could have gone wrong. Not to mention any other civilians that would have been around there or somebody that would have been killed in a hit and run had the suspect jacked the car and taken off and ended up in a police chase. I do see articles all the time of um, gun owners stopping some kind of crime. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is the, the ones that I'm seeing are the gun owner is the one being charged with murder. The gun owner is the one being taken to prison. Yeah, see, that's, that's the, the other. They're, they're pushing. Yeah, that's that's the other thing right there is, you know, you think that yeah, a lot of people think this, that if you go out there and you get your concealed carry, well, that's a license to go out there and shoot somebody. Absolutely not. You have that in hopes that you never have to use it. It's to defend your life. Mm -hmm. That's what it's for. Make no mistake. You're still going to go to jail. You're still going to lose your gun. Not to mention any civil cases you might run up against, as Bruce mentioned before. There's a new study out that says that the homicide surge is not linked to an increase in gun sales. We've had an increase in gun sales ever since November. You know, I remember when Obama was in office, a buddy of mine ran a gun store and he always had a picture of Obama hanging up on the wall behind him and said, employee of the year. And I said, what do you have that up there for? And he said, he said man, this guy's brought me more business than, than I know what to do with. So it's not legal gun owners that are out there causing this problem. That's what they try to scapegoat everything on. Is, is the legal gun owner. They think that's the problem. You know, I've been around, and I've talked about this before, I've been around guns since I was five years old. Bruce, you similar. Yeah, we, we both come from the same part of the country, nearabouts. Same kind of culture. Mm -hmm. But see, I was never, I was never around, at that age, I was never around uh, any kind of like gun safety in school. They used to teach gun safety in school, in schools back in the 50s. They used to have rifle teams in schools back in the 50s. No one ever got shot. God, you wouldn't do that today. But see, not that long ago, hell, man, when I was in school, kids would have rifle racks in the back of their truck in the school parking lot. Yeah. And if someone complained about it, the principal would go out there and you know what? They would compare to what they had in their truck. But it's a very different world in a very short amount of time. That wasn't that long ago. When I was younger and, and I was started to be around that stuff when I was like five years old, five, six years old, I was taught by my by my family and the people that were around the family at that time, friends of the family. I was taught by them out at a gun range. Privately, you start on a little, you know, BB gun, then you graduate to a 22 and and then you go up from there. But I was taught from the very first day of how to be responsible when it comes to that stuff. But see, again, it all links back to what the alderman said. It's about that family structure. It's about having that sense of responsibility instilled in you by the people that raise you. They don't have that. The streets are raising them. If you're brought up to be a responsible individual by a good family, you don't have this problem with gun violence. This problem will take care of itself. This is what the left doesn't understand. Or worse yet, maybe they do. Out of all the times that I've ever been involved in situations in my life outside of a professional standpoint, not one time, not one time have I ever had even an inkling or a thought come into my mind to settle any kind of a dispute or a problem with a gun. That's not a responsible way to do things. You're going to go out there, you're going to be like some gang banger, you're going to hold the gun halfway up on its side or whatever. You're going to go out there, you're going to do something stupid, you're going to get yourself and someone else killed. It's a permanent solution to a very temporary problem. It is. And you know, I can understand why cops are on edge. I get it. Look at the politically charged environment that they've created. Not the cops, the politicians, the media, on an unsuspecting populace, a populace that is not largely responsible. I don't see legal 
law-abiding citizens going out there shooting up neighborhoods. I don't see legal, law-abiding, gun-owning citizens going out there and settling disputes by shooting each other in a parking lot or at a McDonald's or something. You know, I saw, I saw footage this morning, CCTV footage, I, I was reviewing it, of Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia. These three gangbangers, middle of the night, walk down to a corner store, all black hooded up, you know, black hoodie, just like they do in the cities, just like they were in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And you knew what they were up to. As soon as you see that, walking down the street, and they're all blacked out, hoodie up on it like that. As, as soon as you see that, you know what's going to happen. They walk up to this corner store. They didn't even walk in. They opened up all of their guns into the window of that corner store. Those are not legal, law-abiding, gun-owning citizens. Those are gangbangers. That's gang violence. And the store owner, you probably can't even blame the store owner. The store owner is probably just trying to make a living. So this whole idea that we're going to sit here, we're going to blame the legal, law-abiding gun owner. Tell me about Fast and Furious with the wonderful ATF. Tell me about that. The gun running that they were doing under the Obama administration and Eric Holder, the attorney general at the time, into Mexico to blame the legal, law-abiding, gun-owning American for the gun violence down in Mexico and on the border, when in fact it was cartel violence and violence that was perpetuated by the Obama administration. Tell me about that. And some of those same guns ended up back in the United States and killed American citizens. And border patrolmen. Chicago, and I would argue the state of Illinois, really, because the state of Illinois pretty much runs off Chicago's queue. That has one of the most strict gun laws in the country, and they have the highest crime. Philadelphia. Strict gun laws, total gun ban, highest crime. Baltimore, same thing. New York, same thing. Miami, Richmond, Louisville, Kentucky, Columbus, Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio, Cleveland, all total gun bans, highest crime rate. So no, to wrap up and round off, no, guns are not the problem. Legal law-abiding citizens are not the problem. Legal guns are not the problem. Do you know, I, I remember somebody told me a very long time ago, and it's always stuck with me about this, this stuff here. And I, I think I said it last week. I said, if you ban guns in America, which that will never happen. It's too late for that. That horse is already out that barn door. Okay. So we just need to deal with the problem we've got. You're about a hundred years too early. If you want to ban guns in America, you don't have, as they said at CPAC, you don't have 90% of the population that's compliant. You've got about 10%. If you ban guns in America, the only thing you're going to accomplish is you're going to take them away from the honest people. That's all you're going to do. Then watch the crime rate. But to be honest, like I said, I don't think it'll get to that point because those, um, what did Obama call them? Those Bible thumping bitter clingers. Yeah. Hello. How are you, Mr. President? We have those guns for a reason, and it's not to protect us from gangbangers. We're out of time, so uh, we are going to have to go. I have to admit, uh, I've really, really dropped the ball on this one. Uh, I haven't gotten that email up and running. I will have that done tomorrow. I promise I will have it done tomorrow because I have a lot going on tomorrow, but I will make the time tomorrow to actually get that done because we're not going to be podcasting tomorrow. So I will have the extra time in the evening by about 20 minutes, 30 minutes to actually get it done. So uh, I will have that up tomorrow. In the meantime, get over to our Telegram channel and get signed up to us over there. That way you can take part in our conversation. You can get all of our podcasts. You can get our exclusive podcast. You can get access to our newsfeed and you get access to our comment section. So get signed up to us over there. If you get signed up to Telegram, all you have to do is search for Dynamic Independence where a public channel will pop right up and then you can click join. You'll be subscribed to us over there. And we would ask you to pass this along to friends, family, and associates. We are trying to grow, but we do need your help in order to do that. So if you could pass this along, we would greatly appreciate that. We are available everywhere you get your podcasts. Also, if you're rating podcasts, if you give us a rating when you get a chance, we'd appreciate that as well. Five stars would be a plus. Thank you very much. All right, that's it for today. And like I said, we will not be here tomorrow, but we will be putting out a rebroadcast. And rest assured, we will be back on Wednesday. Everyone have a great evening.